0: good to be here with uh, all of you today and to give Corey and his family a well-deserved vacation, some time off. Uh, I don't think we've done it yet, so our children's team, if they want to get up and head to the back, and then all of the kids, if you don't want to stick around and listen to me, um, you can get up and and go join them and, and have a great time in children's church this morning. I don't see any of the other adults rushing out to join them, so that's good. That's a good sign. All right, so this morning we are continuing in our series uh, in the book of Proverbs. Um, and the book of Proverbs as a whole uh, makes the case that there are essentially only two paths in life, uh, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And last week, we uh, Our passage dramatically portrayed the importance of choosing the right path by imagining a father pleading with his son to avoid associating with those who reject God and instead choose a life of sin. Our passage this morning continues that theme and tries to motivate us to choose the correct path by showing us where each path ultimately leads. Uh, We'll first take a look at where those on the foolish path end up, and then we'll contrast that with the destiny of those who choose the way of wisdom. And then before we close, we'll take a look at a third motivation that undergirds and bolsters the other two. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 33, Um, it should be on page 542 in the Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. So I'll go ahead and read that passage. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you, simple ones, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when disaster and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear at harm. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, take a look at our passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would open your word to us and help us to see you clearly, and we pray that that vision that you give us would motivate us to uh, seek your wisdom and follow your ways. We ask this in your name. Amen. When I was a kid, um, I was babysitting my brother one day. I think I was around 12 years old, and he was about eight. And I wasn't doing a particularly good job because he and a friend were in the kitchen lighting matches, and they were dropping them in the sink to put them out. Uh, that seemed like a good idea, but his friend ended up burning his finger, and he panicked, and instead of dropping it in the sink, he dropped it in the garbage. And they didn't come find me until the entire garbage was on fire. Well, I had been taught to go to the neighbor and let them know if there were any problems. Well, garbage on fire seems like a problem. So I went over, told the neighbor. Well, she must have thought it was a uh, grease fire on the stove because she said, I'll be, in, be there in a minute. In the meantime, just put some, pour some salt on it. Well, when I get back, the, the fire had spread from the garbage to the floor, which was carpeted. And so when our neighbor got over, there I was, dutifully, with a canister of Morton salt, throwing salt on the fire that was probably covering about a quarter of the kitchen at that point. Well, um, as you might imagine, so she was able to get a hose and put it out and all was fine. But as you can imagine, my parents weren't too happy about it when they discovered it because you can't hide a... A kitchen that's been destroyed. So they were more than a little concerned uh, that my brother might be d- developing a fascination with fire. So they called uh, somebody that they knew on the fire department and, and they were a little concerned as well. So they had my brother come down to the fire department and they showed him pictures of what can happen, the negative consequences that can happen if you play with fire. And um, Some of them were pretty gruesome pictures, and it it appears to have worked as far as I know. My brother hasn't set any more rooms ablaze. Um, But all joking aside, sometimes we need to see the negative consequences of a particular course of action in order to make a better choice. And that's what our passage wants to do for us today. It wants to show us the negative consequences of following the foolish path so that we can make a better choice. And it's, it's not too hard to see that judgment is a central theme in this passage. Uh, verse 23, uh, 23 talks about wisdom rebuking those who reject her call. In uh, verse 26, disaster comes upon the foolish. In verse 32, uh, their complacency destroys them. That raises the question what's what's so bad about foolishness? Is is it really anything to be that concerned about? Well, take a look at verses 20 and 21. Last week, uh, we we said that the, uh, the father is pictured as calling out to his son. In our passage today, it's wisdom herself who's issuing the urgent call. For us to hear her. And notice that she's crying out in very public places, in the public square, in the noisy streets, at the gateways of the city. The idea is that this is not some esoteric teaching that only a few people can get. It's available to anyone who will listen to her. And then, and the point is that those who reject her wisdom are therefore responsible for that choice. And that responsibility is heightened by the fact that they repeatedly reject her. That's why verse 22 begins with the question of how long will they choose their simple ways? And as important as those two factors are, they don't quite get to the heart of the problem. To, to understand, let me back up. When we talk about wisdom in the book of Proverbs and, and foolishness, we're not primarily talking about something that's an intellectual issue. It's a moral, ethical spiritual category. And we see that displayed uh, in the attitudes in verse 22. The simple ones love their simple ways. The mocker mocks wisdom, and the fools hate knowledge. And there's a dangerous progression here. The, The point is that if the simple one continues on this path, they won't just end up loving their simple ways, they will in fact come to hate knowledge and wisdom. Uh, And we've all probably witnessed or even experienced that sort of progression. Um, Some of you may have uh, made a New Year's resolution to start working out. Um, and, And I don't know, but if you're like me, Um, you may actually like sitting on the couch. Um, I know I do. I'm a big fan. There are a lot of shows on Netflix, and they're not going to watch themselves. But the problem is, the longer I sit on the couch, the less likely I am to get up and actually go work out. Um, And why is that? Well, the longer I sit there, the more I like sitting there, and I actually become resistant to the idea of working out. And that's what we're, we're seeing here. The longer someone stays on the foolish path, the less likely they are to turn around and embrace wisdom because they actually become more and more resistant to wisdom and to God's ways. But that raises the question that we began with, what, so what's the big deal? If they want to be on the foolish path, isn't that their problem? Well, to see why that's such a concern throughout all of the Book of Proverbs, we need to go back to verse seven. If you'll remember, verse seven said that the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and that so there's a connection between fearing the Lord and choosing the wise path. That same connection reappears in our passage. Verse 29, for example, makes the connection between those who hate knowledge. They're the same ones who choose not to fear the Lord. And to understand why that's such an issue, it's helpful to remember what it means to fear the Lord. As Corey has has mentioned, fearing the Lord doesn't mean being constantly afraid of him. Fearing the Lord has to do with acknowledging God for who he is and then responding accordingly. It certainly includes recognizing his power and respecting it, but it also includes seeing his goodness and responding to that as well. So fearing the Lord involves worshiping and submitting and uh, following God in response to all of who he is, his goodness as well as his power. And therein lies the problem. That's why uh, rejecting wisdom is not the same as maybe not wanting to take a course on calculus because you hate math. The fool chooses the foolish path because they don't want anything to do with God. And that's why sin is such a grave issue. Even when we think that we are on the wise path, when we choose sin, we are, in effect, rejecting God. Even though we know who he is, and we know that we ought to respond by trusting and following him, when we choose sin, in essence, we're saying, I desire something more than you, God. And that's why, in Proverbs, and in our passage today, Choosing the foolish path is such a serious thing because it amounts to a rejection of God. But what about the judgment? Is that really so bad? Is that anything to be worried about? Well, take a look at verses 24 through 27. Those who reject God are overtaken by calamity. And their judgment is described in terms of a storm that brings distress and trouble that overwhelms them. And then what happens? Wisdom laughs at them. Doesn't that seem a little harsh? Uh, Even given what we've said about what it means to be on the foolish path. Well, Old Testament scholar uh, Bruce Waltke uh, e- explains that wisdom isn't so much laughing at the disaster that, and the, the pain and the terror that overtakes the person on the foolish path. It's more that wisdom is delighting, it is laughing at the absurdity of what they've chosen to do, to, to reject God and set out on that path given where it ends up. Because their foolishness, their choice of sin, in essence calls God's justice into question. And wisdom is delighting in the fact that order is being restored and God's justice is being vindicated by his judgment. Then that judgment is further described in verses 28 through 32. And the basis for that judgment is described, as we said in verse 29, because they hated knowledge, which as we've seen amounts to choosing not to fear the Lord. And the word in verse 32 that the NIV translates as waywardness um, actually means turning away. It's used in the prophets to, to describe Israel's faithlessness to God and how they've turned away from him. Uh, Here, the fool and their foolish turning away from God uh, leads to their ultimate death and destruction. So, the, the point is that if someone continues on this path, if they continue to reject God, they're ultimately going to be judged for that. But Proverbs often talks about the negative consequences, the earthly temporal consequences that come as a result of making uh, foolish choices. Um, is the, the idea is that Uh, We live in a world created by God, and his wisdom is therefore embedded in his creation. As a result, when we make wise choices, it generally leads to positive results. But when we make foolish choices, that in turn leads to negative consequences. Uh, A number of Proverbs do that. So, for example, Proverbs 22, verse 2 says that, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And in Proverbs 24, verses 33 and 34, it says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And then in Proverbs 25, verse 17, it says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. That's one that I need to remember, otherwise my neighbor is not going to be too happy if I keep coming over. The point of each of those proverbs is that if you make wise choices, good things are going to happen, but if you instead make foolish choices, you're going to end up with some negative consequences that happen in your everyday life. Um So is that what this judgment here in our passage is talking about, the earthly temporal consequences that come from foolish choices? Well, when we look at the severity of the judgment here, and we consider the fact that it's based on a continued rejection of God, it seems like something more is involved. And that's why uh, Bruce Waltke, in his commentary, heads this section the certainty and finality of the gullible's judgment. In other words, what we're looking at is the final judgment of those who continually insist to reject God. And the the point of that is to motivate us to not want anything to do with it. Last week, Corey uh, noted Psalm 73, where the psalmist is continually considering putting his lot in with the wicked because they seem to prosper. And then he enters the sanctuary and realizes their ultimate destiny and then he doesn't want anything to do with it. And that's what our passage today is hoping for us. It's hoping that we'll make that same choice. Just as the fire department had had to show my brother some pictures of the consequences of playing with fire, our passage shows us in vivid uh, imagery the judgment that awaits those that choose the foolish path and who reject God in hopes that we'll make a better choice. So the passage spends most of its time focusing on the judgment, but it does, right there at the end in verse 33, talk about the blessings that come from following wisdom's path, following the Lord's ways. And before we take a look at those blessings, it's worth asking, why not just stick with the judgment? Shouldn't that be enough to get us (laughs) to choose the path of wisdom? Well, remember, Corey was talking about last week that sin is attractive. And sometimes when you're dealing with something that's desirable, you need to do more than just talk about the negative consequences to get someone to turn away from it. Um, Imagine that you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you that your uh, blood pressure is up, your blood sugar is high, cholesterol is high, and so the doctor kind of goes over all of the problems that you're going to have, if you don't make some dietary changes. Well, if you're like me, and, and, and you you guys might be better than me, but I happen to like processed and fast food. With all of its fats and additives and, and added sugar, um, you know, I like all that stuff. And um, there's a reason that they put salt in everything. It tastes good. So if I had to give all that up, I wouldn't be too excited about it. So it might take more than just telling me the downsides of my current diet to get me to change. I might need to be shown the upside of eating differently uh, to get me to, to take that step. I might need to hear about you know, might have more energy, sleep better, whatever it is, I might need to be shown what that alternative looks like to get me to turn around from what I actually have liked in the past. So that's why our passage spends a little bit of time talking about the blessings of um, following wisdom's path rather than just dwelling on the judgments that the, the foolish face. So what is so great about These blessings. Well, take a look at verse 32 and 33. Verses 32 and 33. The blessings are are set up by a final uh, description of the the judgment that uh, comes to those who reject the Lord. And notice that it mentions their complacency. The idea is that they feel secure. Um, they think life is going pretty good for them. And so as a result, maybe maybe God doesn't judge sin after all. But as we know, they're in for a rude awakening because God does in fact judge sin. So that sense of security ends up crumbling beneath them. In contrast to that false sense of security, the believer um, can rest, sure in God's security. So in verse 33, it says, but whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. By lumping multiple descriptions of security together in one verse, it's it's an attempt to, to describe just how permanent our security is when we follow God's ways. What, so what, what makes a believer's security so secure? Well, it's because God stands behind it and guarantees it. But what about all the difficulties that we encounter in life? People lose their jobs all the time, and believers aren't exempt from that. Uh, we, we have health problems. We have marital problems. We lose people. Uh, that we love all the time. Uh, so where's, where's this security? The book of Proverbs even acknowledges uh, this issue. In Proverbs 16, it says that a little with righteousness is better than much gain with injustice. The idea is that um, righteousness doesn't always bring financial prosperity. And Proverbs 24 says that if a, if the righteous falls 7 times he will rise again. The righteous will rise, but apparently they're going to have their share of falls as well. So where is the security that our passage is talking about? Well, we we mentioned that We do live in a world that was created by God and his wisdom is embedded in that creation. So as a result, in general, making wise choices, following his ways, leads to positive consequences. And the reverse is also true. When we choose to go against his ways, there are often negative consequences that we'll experience in our everyday life. But we also live in a fallen world. And because of sin things don't always work the way that they're supposed to. So as a result, we experience troubles of all sorts. The Bible doesn't flinch from that. It acknowledges it in in many places. But it also shows us that this life is not all there is. God has a plan for the future. And the book of Proverbs doesn't really show us that future in, in great detail, but other passages show us more clearly what God has in store for us in, in one day. And probably the clearest uh, vision of that future comes in the book of Revelation. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 7, reads this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, For the, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this and I will be their God, and they will be my children. In the beginning, we dwelt in God's presence and lived in harmony with him, but then sin entered the world and destroyed that harmony. And in a sense, all of redemptive history is God's working to bring us back into his presence. And that's why as as believers, we look to the day when we will, he will dwell among us again, he'll make everything new, and we will live in peace and security with him. And that's the hope that we have. And that's what our passage wants us to see, to motivate us to make that choice. So that we don't just choose that way because we want to avoid the negative Consequences, but so that we can be with him for eternity. Those are both powerful motivations to, to, to choose the path of wisdom and follow God's ways. But before we close, I want to take a look at a, a third motivation that's embedded in what it means to fear the Lord, and it explains why the pinnacle of our hope is spending eternity with him. When we were talking about the fear of the Lord, we said that it means acknowledging God for who he is, worshiping and submitting to him in response to all of who he is, his goodness, as well as his power. And when we take that and put it in the context of the additional revelation that we have In the New Testament, it takes on another dimension. We know that Jesus is God in the flesh. And that's why in Colossians, it can say that he possesses all the treasures of God's knowledge and wisdom. And what that means is that the wisdom that we're seeing in the book of Proverbs finds its fulfillment in the teaching and person of Christ. So for believers today, to fear the Lord and follow him means to trust in Christ and follow him. So what does that have to do with motivation? Well, the motivation comes from seeing the goodness, God's goodness, that is displayed in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I have a friend who works in a gravel pit and one day he was working in the gravel pit, he was uh, trying to repair, he was working on a conveyor belt and when his glove got caught in the pulley and it pulled his arm in, the belt tightened around it and shattered the bones in his arm. Um, That had to be just incredibly painful. Well, what made it worse was there was only one other guy working in the pit that day. And that guy had no idea what to do <laughs> to extricate him from the conveyor belt. So, as my friend is sitting there in intense pain, probably wanting to pass out, he had to walk the guy step by step through what to do to get him out. You know, uh, call 911 go get and turn the <laughs> conveyor belt off so it's not continuing to wrap around my arm go get a knife cut me out walked him step by step through that and i just can't imagine what that would would be like it, and i knew that he was physically and mentally tough before that day but that accident revealed a, a just how physically and mentally tough he was well Jesus does something similar for our perception of God's goodness. God's goodness is all over the Old Testament. We, you can see it time and time again. But Jesus Jesus reveals that goodness in a, an entirely new way. I, it, it, in essence, it the revelation of God's goodness reaches its fulfillment in what Christ did for us. His willingness to come to earth, even though he's God, suffer and die to pay the penalty for our sins, highlights just how good God is and how much he loves us. And when we see that goodness, it ought to draw us to him. It ought to motivate us to want to draw close to him, to to follow him. So the, the book of Proverbs uh, gives us lots of reasons to, uh, to, to choose to follow the Lord, to, to reject the foolish path, to fear God and choose wisdom. Two big ones are avoiding the judgment that's awaiting people at the end of the foolish path and to instead choose the blessings that await those who fear the Lord, but if we need additional motivation, all we need to do is look at Christ, to see the goodness of God revealed in him and what he did for us. And if we look at him, the choice becomes very clear. We should want to follow Christ and choose his wisdom over all else in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we know just how good you are. You show it to us in in many ways every day. Lord, we know that you showed it most clearly in your willingness to come suffer in order to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin. We pray that that vision of your love for us would motivate us to, to choose you to desire you more than uh, anything else that this world has to offer. We pray that we would honor you with our entire lives. We ask all this in your name. Amen.